This episode is brought to you by freedadcourse.com. You are always one conversation away from changing your life, and the power of hello is something that I subscribe to every single day, and I'm always saying hello to new people everywhere I go. Increasing your opportunity, increasing your connection, and getting access to the solutions to the problems that you are facing, whether you're on active duty or just beginning your veteran transition or even transitioning out for 20 years. On the other side of hello are the solutions that you're looking for. Again, head on over to freedadcourse.com. Get your five-episode audio course to create more connection, create more friendships, and get back to living the life that you're trying to design. Dory 1, this is Fire Team Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Welcome back to the Military Veteran Dad, episode 38. Today's episode, my intro, sounds a little bit funny, and I'm going to give you a quick story about starving your fear going all in, and sometimes, as they maybe say in the Air Force, because I wasn't in the Air Force, you just got to wing it, that I'm at right now Military Imster Conference in Washington, D.C., which is a conference that brings all the military influencers together to network and grow their businesses. And on my way here, I got to the airport, and I did not have my luggage. In that luggage was my podcast microphone, where I would have recorded my intro for this episode. I left that luggage back at home, and I had a split decision of either catching a flight in the morning that I was on and being able to see D.C. yesterday or drive home, change my flights, get my bags, and miss the sightseeing that I was able to do yesterday. And I ultimately said, I'm going to wing it. I'm going to go for it. I got in an airplane with nothing but my backpack and got to see D.C., did some shopping last night. And my big takeaway is I'm still here. I am still alive, and the worst that could happen was nothing. And I really hit bottom when I forgot my suitcase and I'm on my way up. So that's a quick story why this audio sounds a little bit funny because I'm recording it on my iPhone right now. But today's episode is with Tom Hart. Tom is the founder of StagePass, an experienced marketplace for audiences to support their favorite creatives. He is also the host of the Traction, Growth, and Income podcast, which helps creatives turn their creative passions into businesses. Tom is an active duty Air Force officer who his wife is in the Army. And this is actually the first time that they've been together in five years at the same base. They just PCS to Hawaii, and they're expecting their first child this coming year. And Tom just gives a very good perspective on what he's going through, what he's feeling, what he's working through in his marriage, especially this being the first time they've been able to live in the same house under the same roof after being married for five years. And we go through a lot of the different areas that dads are struggling with when they become a dad. And I share some of the wisdom that I've got from three kids and what I've learned through that process of having one, two, and three and what it's like when you go through that and all the things they tell you you have to do, but at the same time, you really don't. So if you're expecting dad, this episode is perfect for you because we're going to starve some fear. We're going to hopefully remove some of that fear and tell you it's going to be okay. You're going to get to the other side. You're going to be a great grad. You're going to be a great dad. and It's all going to work out. So without further ado, Tom Hart. Welcome to the show, Tom. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me, Ben. It's good to be here. It's crazy when I first met you at Podcast Movement and you were saying that you were just getting ready to PCS to Hawaii. How was the move for you? And how was Hawaii settling? Uh, it was in? quick. It was quick. Um, so we'll get into this a little bit later, but my wife is actually already here. 
So I took permissive TDY, so house hunting TDY, for all you military folks that are familiar with that, uh, to go and find a house with my wife Morgan and June. Um, and so I left from Austin, Texas, took 10 days, uh, tried to find a place in Honolulu with Morgan. She's actually Army, so I'm Air Force and she's Army. So I uh, tried to find a place with her, ended up being too expensive, we so we decided to live on base. So she's actually lived on base now for two months. And so when I got here, it was last Friday, um, so about a week ago, and she picked me up at the airport. I went home, dropped my bags off, checked in at work. So it was a really, really easy transition. Not so much for her. And I felt bad because she's pregnant now. Mm-hmm. And so I told her not to unpack anything because I wanted to do that when I got here. So I did get here and she had unpacked a few things, but there's still a lot of boxes that we had left to rummage through and unpack and things like that. Uh, so easy transition, but it was because my wife had to suffer a little bit more than me. Um, but we were able to kind of line up house hunting. Um, so that it worked out really nicely. Is the on-base housing pretty full there? Is that why you had to go there to try to find a house off-base? Uh, so we thought it would be full. And it turns out that we were kind of off-cycle from the, P- the normal PCS range. So later in the middle of June to end of August is, is really when the PCS summer cycle hits for Hawaii. And so we thought that there wouldn't be much housing on-base. And so we, we started looking around. We thought with the BAH, we'd be able to find something nice. BAH for our pay, pay band is, you know, it's about, it's it's nice. It's it's good, and for two uh, you know military officers, it's 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 really we can live pretty comfortably. And um, you know, looking around, we we're like, well, we don't want to deal with the commute, so we checked on base. And the for the price, the comparable price on base for what we we'd be paying on the like, the economy, we could get central air, we could get three beds, two baths, um, you know, sixteen hundred square feet, which you'd have to pay something like six hundred thousand if you wanted to buy on the economy plus a commute, um, and then. We, we'd heard horror stories about military being targeted off base and uh, just because the, the locals here think that being in the military, being transient in this location, having the housing allowance and everything like that, you're really well off. And, you know, that's, that's not necessarily untrue, but um, you get targeted um, unfairly. And, and so we thought, yeah, with all of those factors, you know, it'd be nice to have the lawn and, you know, have a, a nice house with one on the way, you know, having that extra bedroom because we were looking at two beds, two baths and, being able to live on base with a community where it's, it feels like Pleasantville. I walk point. I, I just figured this out last week. I walk 0.56 miles to work uh, every morning, which is great. So I couldn't ask for anything nicer. Uh, this is, this has been the, the nicest base that I've lived thus far. And, you know, it's easy to say cause it, it's like Pleasantville. Um, but uh, we're, we're really, really lucky and blessed. It sounds like uh, you're almost going to be a dad with training wheels that you got a nice short commute. You don't have a lot of like, like 30 minutes trying to come home, got a nice community to support you and uh, about as good of terms that you can be to become a dad as, as you can imagine. We're really lucky. Yeah, definitely. So I have to ask the question, has Hawaii been what you thought it was going to be from just a visual or was it, was your like expectation a little higher or was it like everything that you've ever thought about it and more? Well, yeah, the, the environment has been everything I thought it would be. Uh, the temperature, uh, the breeze, the beach, the water. Uh, Morgan's 27th birthday was last weekend, and so I took her out on a uh, catamaran, so I took her out snorkeling. So I got in on uh, Friday, and then Sunday we were out on a catamaran uh, celebrating her 27th, which was uh, great timing because you know, had they pushed back my orders by a couple of days, then I wouldn't have been able to be in person celebrating with her. So I took her on a catamaran. The water was gorgeous. We went to a reef. Got to see her favorite animal, which is a sea turtle. So we we saw like three sea turtles while we were while we were snorkeling, which was amazing. Uh, the housing, not so much though. I thought that everything would be 
paradise and everything would be modern and upgraded and kind of like what Austin had, but just in Honolulu and not necessarily the case when you, when you go outside of the Honolulu uh, city proper, uh, things start to look like shanties and that's nothing against, you know, the, the culture here or, uh, their homes or their builders, but it's just, I had higher hopes, higher expectations. Um, the places that we did visit while we were searching for a house on the economy, a lot of them didn't have air conditioning. They were, I, I know you said that as a bullet point, I can't imagine people in Okinawa or not Okinawa, but Hawaii living without air conditioning. I couldn't imagine that either, but they said, uh, with the trade winds and the temperature, it was fine. So you just open windows on the opposite side of your home and you get a breeze coming through and it's effectively like air conditioning. And I was like, coming from the mainland, that's not something that I want to have to contend with. I wanted air conditioning. (laughs) So, uh, you know, having a place that had air conditioning is really, really nice. Um, and then, uh, the economy, that was a surprise. Um, you know, having everything be so expensive, we went out for dinner to celebrate, um, both being together. Uh, so this, I don't know if I mentioned this to you or not, but this is the first time we've lived together in five years. Um, so we, I mean, we can talk about that, but, um, so we celebrated, you know, the fact that we were living together for the first time in a long time and we went out to dinner and it was like $70, just a casual place, but that's just the cost of eating out here. Your Texas roadhouse was $70 type place. Yeah. It's insane. It's, it's, uh, I remember when I lived in Okinawa, I get the, the, the prices stuff wasn't so crazy in Okinawa, but, uh, this probably the culture and the the climate are very similar where you do get a good breeze, but, uh, I, I'll never forget the amount of humidity was in Okinawa. It was like breathing underwater in that hot tropical environment. And, uh, it, it's just crazy. You can't explain it until you've experienced it. How how much humidity is actually there? Is it pretty humid (laughs) in Hawaii or is the breeze pretty kill it pretty good? The breeze helps it. But my boss was saying that September and October are actually worse than, July and August because the uh, the breeze, the trade winds die off as it starts to wind down and it, it turns into the rainy season. They say it's there's two summers here, one's rainy and one's hot. <laughs> and so he said as as it prepares itself to, to enter the rainy season, the, the winds die off and it just becomes humid and sticky. I'm like, well, I just moved from Austin. I, I feel like I can cope with it. But And probably a layman's term would be as like the summer literally transitions across the equator to the southern hemisphere there's probably just that cycle of, of changing, uh, that it resets itself. Yeah, definitely. So unpack a little bit about, uh, that you just, this is the first time that you've lived with your wife. Yeah. Um, so we, we both went to school together. We did undergrad together. We actually met on an internship. Uh, and so we were out in Boston together at the same place. We were at a defense contractor called, uh, Lincoln labs and doing that, and we met each other the summer before our senior year. So she was an electrical engineer and I was studying physics. And we met each other at a safety brief of all places and decided to hang out because we were, uh, you know, just a, a few of the uh, classmates that we had that were there at that internship. And so we started hanging out. I just broken up with a girlfriend, uh, eventually started seeing movies together and, and going out to dinner together and not really expecting much of it. But Eventually, it turned into a relationship, and we dated all throughout senior year. And prior to senior year, I had applied to cross into the Air Force. So we we both went to school at uh, West Point, and and so everyone's expected to commission into the Army. Uh, having studied physics there, I kind of wanted to continue research um, and and do that in the Air Force. And so I applied to be a physicist in the Air Force. And senior year, we found out that I, I was selected to to be a part of the Air Force, and so I would cross into the Air Force upon graduation. But up until graduation, I had the option 
to stay Army or go Air Force. And in the Army, I was I was selected as a signal officer, so I would have been stationed at uh, uh, Kansas at, at Fort Riley. Um, and you know, she got uh, aviation, so she knew that she was going to be at Fort Rucker uh, in Alabama. And so she, the, the decision was, you know, what should we do? Should we stay Army and hope that you get assigned to the Combat Aviation Brigade out at Fort Riley after flight school, and we'll get married then? Or do I go Air Force and we just kind of risk it? Maybe you get out after a couple of years. Um, but the, the great thing about the Air Force is they tell you in advance kind of what to expect, what duty stations you have. Uh, that of course are, they do. Why wouldn't they? Everything is, yeah, it's the everything is greener on the other side. The and honestly, fast forwarding, you know, six years, the Air Force is so much better than the Army. Uh, I'm so glad that I stuck with the, the decision. But rewinding back to that, that point in time, we were... Probably maybe regret not bringing her to the other side. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I wished that we had started dating in junior year and we could have both jumped ship, but it didn't end up that way. It, it's, it's so funny how it worked out because I went Air Force and I'm not flying. She stayed Army and she's the pilot in the relationship, uh, which is hilarious. But um, so she uh, ended up going down to Fort Rucker. Uh, she said that she wanted me to stay the course and, and commission into the Air Force. So I commissioned as a 61 Delta. It's a physicist. And um, my first duty station was in Ohio, which was closer than Kansas. So I ended up just driving to see her every other weekend. Um, and I, I killed my car and, and, and that one, uh, tour that we had. So in three years, I think Burned I put 80,000 miles on my Honda. <laughs> I was going to say, I was yeah. probably was like a Honda Civic. Cause those are the only cars yeah. that handle that type of commitment. <laughs> but I, I listened to like 90 audiobooks uh, while I was doing that. But, uh, so I would go see her every other weekend and we would hang out. It was really, really stressful for her because she had to go through Sears school and then, you know, uh, like the undergraduate version of pilot training where she flew UH-67s and then eventually graduated and became a Black Hawk pilot. So she was doing the UH-60 course and then she got stationed in Fort Bragg. And so I was still in Ohio at that time um, when she got Fort Bragg and then I got assigned to Texas. We were hoping that she would be reassigned to Fort Hood because we were going to get married once I got reassigned to, to Austin, Texas. Um, so we got married and uh, then she didn't get reassigned to Fort Hood. She got sent to captain's career course at Fort Rucker. And at that point, we had been married for like two years when it was a time for her to come, uh, PCS again. And uh, finally, uh, AFPC Personnel Center and the Air Force talked with uh, HRC Human Resource Command in the Army. And they said, hey, look, these are the places that she could get stationed uh, based on his availability and his, his uh, billets that are open. So they sent her to Hawaii based on the fact that they talked together. And then I got orders like, two months after she got stationed there. By coincidence or like then you started working the Air Force magic of... I, 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 well, the Air Force magic, it happens... Uh, it's probably that. no magic. You just have to simply ask. No, no. The, so, you know, people say that the grass is greener on the other side. Uh, you know, if you go Army to Air Force or Marines to Air Force, it truly is greener and it's lush and it's beautiful. It, it's it's amazing. <laughs> like, uh, you know, they work eight-hour days. It's They, they really take care of you uh, from a personnel perspective. It's, it's a much better life. Um, I, I don't regret my decision at all. Two funny Air Force stories for you. My first yeah. experience to the different side was in Okinawa, Canadian Air Force Base. I had really, and the odd part is I almost went to the Air Force because I wanted computers. And uh, the I ended up going to Marine Corps because he had a, a bouncy house at the church picnic. And that completely changed the course direction of my life. Uh, but, and when I got to Okinawa, I, we visited the, Canadian Air Force Base, there was a Chili's on base, and occasionally you would end up there, or when you didn't have anything, you would even sometimes maybe venture to the chow hall, because I heard that it was better. So we venture there, and you walk in, and there is a fish tank the so bigger than a de an office desk, 
and it was probably three feet high, just massive, just a freaking massive fish tank. And then the menu, the menu is what I remember most. There's two sides you can walk through. And this is like 2004. So flat screens are pretty expensive still. Two massive, probably 50 inch TVs just running a one page PowerPoint with the menu. And that's, and then you walk in and you pick your own stuff. You get to sit down, they come get your tray. And I'm like, what the F is going on here? Because <laughs> our menu is on a whiteboard. I have to pick up my own tray and I got to dish out my own stuff most of the time. What the, my only, my only luxury is that we get an omelet bar every morning for breakfast. And I was like, this is, this is crazy. There is no, if there is one core thing that should be common, it should be the food services. I mean, it's, there's really nothing, no reason why it shouldn't just be, okay, let's divide this by five. But it's not, it's like, it blows my mind. And the second one was the, uh, oh, did I lose it? Oh, chow hall. Oh, I think I lost it. Damn. But the chow hall was my favorite. That one always, always gets me because that was the first time I was really ever exposed to the other side. It's crazy. Yeah. And I, I didn't have any exposure. Well, actually, I, I did um, cadet. So when you're, when you're a cadet at West Point, you have to go and spend time in the field and you have to basically shadow um, either a lieutenant or a captain and, you know, learn what you can while you're there. So you spend a month or two. Oh, actually, funny story. It ties it back to James, but um, we were, we're talking about James Van Pregen before this. Uh, so I had to do what we call CTLT, Cadet Troop Leadership Training. And so I went down to McDill Air Force Base um, in Tampa, Florida, which was where my CTLT was. And so I shadowed an army captain there, but it was a joint unit. And so it was an on Air Force Base and it was with a signal company. And so that's what I was expecting to do in the army. And so that was my first exposure to the Air Force. And the, the, what stood out in my mind was the fact that they had squishy running tracks. That's the first thing. Yeah. So I went on my morning run the first day I got there and I was like, whoa, what is this? Like protection this for your next level stuff. stuff. Absolutely. It was just, it was simple things like that. It's the small things that the Air Force does. And like the TVs that have the menus. So you don't have to write them down on the whiteboard every day. There was a squishy running track. Uh, <laughs> and that, yeah. So CTLT, that was in 2012. That's the same place that I met James, James Van Prien. So he was at podcast movement with us. Mm -hmm. uh, and your story came full circle almost. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I want to, before we get too far into it, uh, unpack a little bit. Cause you told us you had an interesting story about your 30th birthday. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I guess, uh, so turning 29, so I was 29 and 30th birthday was coming up. Morgan, my wife had just gotten orders to Hawaii. So we were really, really excited about that. And my, my functional team at AFPC had basically already told me that I would go for my next assignment being Hawaii because they had already identified a position. I was actually trying to create my own job out in Hawaii just so I could make sure that we would be stationed together. But AFPC came through and they said they had a position for me. Um, so now I'm the data analytics chief for this PACAF headquarters. And that came through. So we were both really, really excited because it looked like for the first time in five years, we were going to be stationed together. Um, and, and so, you know, we, we knew that we wanted to start a family as soon as possible. And um, we hadn't really been trying, but we weren't preventing anything. Um, you know, just kind of the, the whims of God. And, and so 30th birthday comes around and I'm still in Austin, Morgan's in Alabama. And she, she wanted to come out and see me for my birthday because 30 is a big deal. And she wanted to make it special. So she flew out and got there Friday night going to Saturday morning at uh, 2 a.m. because her flight was delayed by a couple hours. 
And uh, so I pick her up, we drive home, it's like 3 a.m. And she's like, well, I really, really wanna give you your 30th birthday present. And so she gives me the birthday present and it's a little box. And I'm like, why, we can wait until the morning. She's like, no, no, we can't wait until the morning. I was like, all right, it must be a good present. So I open the gift and in there, so the first gift that she ever got me when we started dating was a NASA t-shirt uh, because I was big into space and, and STEM and research and it was appropriate. And I had since worn that shirt, you know, to, to basically non-existence, you know, there were holes in it and everything like that. So crusty the armpit stains. Exactly. All that. And so she got me a new NASA shirt. And so I, I took it out and I was looking at it. I was like, oh, this is great. You know, six, you know, come full circle. Six years later, I have a new NASA shirt. And she says, well, look down. So I look down and there's a baby NASA shirt. And then I pick up the baby NASA shirt and under the baby NASA shirt, there's an ultrasound. And I find out that she was pregnant that way. So that was my 30th birthday gift. That's pretty good. I was starting to think your story was that her birthday gift was how you got pregnant. No, no, but uh, <laughs> that would have been, been a good graphic, story too. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so yeah. How many so weeks was she along when that happened? She was nine at that point. Um, or was it nine? Seven? Um, but she, she'd been keeping it a secret for two weeks. And I should have known because we, we try to Skype or, or FaceTime every night and she kept going to sleep really early and she's terrible at, at keeping secrets. So I was like, what is going Something's on? Going I, on I, here. Asked her, I was like, are you okay? Like, uh, do you have like mono or strep or anything like that? I was like, you should see the doctor. You're, you're really tired all the time. And you know, um, she's like, no, I'm fine. But she, she was like, well, I really just didn't want to talk with you. I wanted to go to sleep early a because I was pregnant and B because I had the secret and I didn't want to tell you. And so she knew for two weeks. Um, so, so I think she was, yeah, she was six weeks pregnant when she, um, when she told me and, uh, yeah, it was the best present I could have ever asked for. Probably also a scary present. Cause you're like, Whoa, what just happened? Oh God. <laughs> well, I, I grew up I, really uh, quickly when I turned 30. Yeah. Well, I, I wanted to have kids by the time I was 30. And so I was like, all right, well, this is the year. Maybe we start, you know, seriously trying for kids. Yeah. But yeah, could have asked for anything better. That is, it is a pretty amazing story. And now it's coming full circle where you're living together and you're almost really five years later now just starting your, your family, your life together. Yeah. Yeah. So we got the dog and yeah, but, uh, yeah, we're, we're excited. (laughs) So you're excited, but what scares you? Let's talk about Uh, some fears. Yeah. The, the unknowns for sure. Uh, you know, obviously I've been reading parenting books and trying to figure out what to horrible advice. It, it all is, you know, I mean, like they make it seem like a fairy tale and like everything's going to be fine and just, you know, follow these, these, these guidances. But, um, I don't know, it's, it's the unknowns and the time, like, will I have enough time to, you know, give my kids what they deserve and what they need. Um, taking care of, you know, my wife, making sure I don't sacrifice anything on that end, making sure that the relationship stays a good balance. Um, I don't want to feel like, I'm being deprived of anything. I don't want her to feel like she's deprived of anything. So it's, mm. it's all these, these worries about what, you know, it's just the unknowns. Um, uh, I think from a support perspective and infrastructure perf- perspective, we've got great support here um, from the military. I like the way you described that you're very systematic and that we got very good infrastructure and we've got very good support. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, like medically we're, we're, we're solid. Um, we have triple army medical hospital here. It's great. Uh, we went in for our anatomy ultrasound uh, just last week. And so we found out what the gender of our, our baby is. 
so we're having a girl. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, and so we, we did the anatomy ultrasound there and, and I'm just impressed by all the, um, the technology that they have at their disposal. I mean, obviously Tripler is one of the larger medical installations on, on uh, the island. And so they, they need to be well-equipped, but I was, I was pleasantly surprised by all of that. So, uh, to that, to that end, like we have a lot of support. Um, now it's just the unknowns. How is she doing? Uh, she's doing okay. The first uh, trimester was a little rough. She got a lot of morning sickness, and, and people kept telling her it was because of the uh, the peaked estrogen that she has, because it's likely a girl. And mm-hmm. you know, we we just chalked it up to wives' tales. Um, so she had a lot of morning sickness, and you know, wasn't really feeling pregnancy. Just didn't like it. Uh, and then we found out it was a girl. So I mean, I guess the wives' tales are true. If you if you know if you get a lot of morning sickness, it might be a girl. Um, but yeah, I, we always followed that. My wife was more regiment on the heartburn that uh, the heartburn was an indication of hair. Hmm. So I don't know if she has heartburn, but that would confirm the wife's tale if she does have a lot of heartburn. Cause when we, had, when she was pregnant with my son, she didn't have hardly any, huh? No, she hasn't had much heartburn, but, um, she has had a lot of like, uh, you know, pain around her stomach and, uh, you know, that's to be expected, uh, uh, obviously she feels like she's huge every time uh, yeah. we're out walking. She's like, Oh my gosh, I'm a cow. And I try to comfort her. As best the worst I part is my, so my wife's a teacher. And so all of the, the women there are moms mostly, and they've all gone through this. And like, she'd come home one day, a couple of times, they wouldn't, it just wouldn't be like one incident. And someone would come like said to her, like, wow, you're big. And I'm just like, what woman says that to another woman that actually had that and went through that? It's like, if yeah. there was ever anybody that should have empathy for another woman that is pregnant, it should be another woman that was pregnant. Yep. You don't tell someone that, wow, you're big. <laughs> because they should know how that makes them feel. Yeah. Yeah. Is your exactly. wife nesting? Um, well, now you got a house. Now that she can probably really start the nesting before it was kind of like it wasn't official yet. Well, and so we didn't know the gender as well. So now that we do know the gender, she's gone uh, 100%. So we, I think we've been shopping like every day for the last week, um, for better or worse, you know, trying to find everything that we want, trying to figure out the the product lines that we want to have together, try to try to make sure we have all the same product lines so we can have, you know, parts and piece, pieces that uh, can go together, things like that. Um, but yeah, so I, I think we've got a, a, enough clothes here her mom really wants us to do a, uh, a virtual baby shower. And so she's set up like this WordPress site for us and everything, had us update this baby register. And so now they're going to send it out to all the family friends and see um, if they want to participate in this virtual baby shower, uh, which would be nice uh, because we have all these things that we're going to buy regardless. So if they want to take care of them, that would be super helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, trying to figure out everything that we want, uh, you know, from the, the priorities and the must-haves to, uh, the, you know, would be nice to have and things like that. The, some advice on the buying things. So we did everything that you're doing. We went to Babies Arrest, which is now defunct, but it was the thing. And we registered and you get those guns and you just start scanning crap. And, and then you start getting the crap that comes in. And I can't tell you, like it's marketing and the fear go hand in hand here because you don't know what you don't know. And you think the people selling your product know something that you don't. So therefore you trust that brand that they can deliver some value that you don't yet know you need. You don't need any of it. It less is always more by the third one. I can't tell you how much little we had to keep that baby alive. It was basically the food. It was basically the formula. Uh, 
a, 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 we, a, a crib and a changing table. We had a couple different things. Like we did a rock and play. If you, if you're in the bassinet type category, a rock and play is a game changer because it, uh, it's much easier to put them in a rock and play and get them to go to bed. Uh, another thing is if you don't do breastfeeding, there's something called, I believe the name is baby Brisa, which is like a Keurig for baby milk. Wow. And it always keeps it at the right temperature. It has a dispenser of formula on top. You put the bottle in, push a button. 30 seconds later, you got a perfect bottle of milk. And at three in the morning, at least for me, because I don't operate at three in the morning very well, you just push in that button. I hated microwaving. I hated getting the temperature just right. And you just wanted to go back to bed. Baby breeze it. It's expensive. It's like 150 But if you're going to waste money on a baby register and make people get something for you, get a baby breeze That's an official endorsement by the Military Veteran Dad podcast. Right. Baby Baby Breeza. All right. I'm right. Have you bought a car seat yet? No, we've, uh, we figured out what we're going to buy, but, uh, you know, going back to if, if people are going to take care of the expensive items then I'll let them. So yeah, you'll, get, you'll get one of those carriers that, that people do the, I can't think of the proper name of them. And then you'll get the little thing that sticks in. I would say don't stress about that because you're not going to have it for that long. Maybe by six months, yeah. it's going to be over. The car seat is the most strategic part when they actually come out of that carrier and the only brand that I've ever had success with is Evenflow. Really? So that's the brand that we wanted to get. I've had all three program. kids in Evenflows, and it's just magic. They have the, and the, one of the hardest parts of a, of a car seat is getting the back latched and getting it all tight and proper. Evenflow yeah. has these automatic latch systems that just clip in the back, and the more you push, the more it clips. It automatically ratches itself in there. Super okay. easy to get in and out. And once you don't have that, you realize exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> There's a dad out there listening, but even flow, that's my only, and we just got another car seat to, uh, that's more of like a five point and it's not an even flow. God, it sucks. I absolutely despise it. I hate everything about it. just makes me frustrated. We got it out of there and get, put her back in the other car seat to hold on for a little bit longer because just that's good every time I use it. So the stroller that I wanted was the, the, um, Chico Bravo. And, uh, I really wanted that one because of its portability and its weight and uh, it easy folding and things like that. But, uh, it's the car seat really. So it's, it's, it dual functions as the car seat and then the insert for the, for the stroller on top of it. Yeah. But, but Morgan really likes the even flow and, and I'll trust the mother's intuition on that one. So it's good to have some, I, I, I never, we, I don't think we had the even flow stroller. But theoretically, if they can nail the car seat, there is some trust that you could put in the... But ultimately, don't stress about the stroller because it's not... I mean, in Hawaii, you're probably going to be going for a lot of walks. But it's not about the stroller. It's really the couple things you want to think about is the folding and unfolding. How well does it latch? And if you were to put it in a vehicle, like how is it positioning? Like does the wheels get in the way? Does it fit in the trunk? Then mm-hmm. That's really more of what it comes down to because you're once you get more kids and it changes all the, the stroller type stuff and you're probably going to have number two before number one's done and then you're going to be in a double and then this one's going to be out of the way and next thing you know life gets complicated and you're like man it was so much simpler when i just had to deal with one stroller yep yeah and so i, I i'm i'm more a fan of your take on being minimalist because i know that as long as we have diapers as long as morgan is still functioning and feeding um, yeah that will be okay and that it will sleep somewhere you yeah. know it, it will definitely sleep we had the rockers we had the bouncers eventually we got this uh like it's one of those things they sit in and it just kind of hangs and they bounce and we had it all and by the third one it was all gone and we just because as they get, they get older they don't need any of that stuff and 
it's almost better just to buy it as a hand-me-down or buy it on Facebook because you don't get, you don't use it for all your kids. You eventually get rid of it for space-wise, especially probably military housing. It's not like you got a huge, massive storage area and you don't want to PCS it around the country. So just, it's a very short-lived problem that you just want to solve with the cheapest thing you can find to solve the problem that's safe and then move on. Because eventually, by the third one, they're moving so fast and copying the kids above them that they barely, barely even slow down to actually use the stuff that you put them in. Mm-hmm. Once they start crawling, then they're, they just go, like my youngest was just, she's going to probably ride her polar training wheels off next year. And she's three. And that will be a year earlier than her brother. And her brother did it a year earlier than her sister. So like they eventually oh. catch up super fast. So, yeah. And there's so much, there's just so much crap to try selling you. And some of it's useful, but eventually you learn when you have the second one, I really didn't need all that. And you just get used to maybe you're beat down more by the second one and you don't care as much or you don't have time to stress about it because you still have a little one that you're trying to keep alive, but just go with less is less is more. And it's so much easy. And right now you're bored and you're nesting and you're planning and you're thinking, but on the other side, just buy it when you need it, when the problem exists. And you're like, okay, now we'll buy that thing that we said we need. Trying to get it before, you're really just creating a garage sale that you don't have want to have. I like that. Yeah, I'm going to have Morgan listen to this episode so you can hear your perspective. <laughs> I've, I'm an overthinker. And on these types of topics, I have overthought them to the death of me. Even a baby monitor, like uh, really... i get the VTech minimalist one. Yeah, because eventually you, you want to watch them. Um, to see what they're doing. But really in the early stages, it's not as important because they're, they're not going to be doing anything. It's more just important to hear them. Um, but when we spend a lot of money on those things and they don't always stay working and you really just want to get solved it with the minimal amount of features and just get through the problem because you really just need to see that they're moving, hear them, and that's it. Yeah, I like Ooh, that. Another, another good hack for you. Do you have an Alexa? Uh, no, no. Uh, well, we had one and we had a, uh, a speaker. So you could pair a speaker to an Alexa and we would have Alexa play lullaby music and put the speaker in the bedroom. That's pretty nifty. And so if you put to... an Alexa actually in there, uh, you can set a sleep timer to it too. So then it would, uh, turn off on its, on its own. I'm, I'm more a fan of, I, I don't want speakers listening in my house all the time. So <laughs> I'm on that side as well, but I often, I just, it's one thing I don't trust about because I don't really have anything to hide and uh, there's something to be said for trying to, to be like that, but I just give up. It's not, it's not about having anything to hide. It's about um, just, just uh, respecting the, the institution of, of, yeah. Yeah. Home. Yeah. The only upside that to consider on the other side is having every song at your disposable when they get older is really handy to pay, play a lullaby, to play a song that you want to dance to, just to have fun. There is some universal value. I mean, if you have like a Spotify, you can do the exact same thing or play it through a speaker in the house. But there is something, because even our kids now, they, they know how to tell it, play Kids Bob. They know how to tell it to it's play Sesame Street. And it's three ninety nine for the unlimited uh, <laughs> music. And it pays for itself with the amount of dance parties that go on in our house. That's awesome. <laughs> How old's your oldest? Uh, seven. Seven, five, okay. and three. My middle That's son awesome. just turned five uh, two weeks ago. Thank. Happy birthday to him. He's, uh, he was right on the edge of going into kindergarten. So we, we decided to push him through and just said that we were good parents and we could catch him up on whatever he was falling behind on. Because maturity isn't there, but 
it's really 50 50 because some parents will say they held them back and other kids will say they eventually catch up and it's one of those you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Yeah. Hmm. So I'm just hoping that we can figure it out and, and trust our parenting and that it'll be there where he needs to be. And probably the one downside is he really isn't interested in what school is interested about. Like he doesn't like coloring. He doesn't like knowing his colors, numbers and ABCs, but he loves building. If it's building anything, he'll do it over or helping. He loves helping. But does, that's not what they measure. Podcaster, even. entrepreneur. Yeah. It, or just like a construction guy. And like right now he wants to be a, a, a train conductor, mm-hmm. but uh, he really loves building, but that's not how they measure kids. So it'll be a internal battle a little bit for him, but I'm confident we'll get him through. So as long yeah. as we're good parents and paying attention and doing what we're supposed to. I, I think I'm just fine with, with you as his parents. So that's what I'm saying. Like my wife's a teacher. I'm a good dad. I was like, if there's ever an insurance policy, you can buy it not to mess up your kid by not holding him back. I feel like I'm buying about as good as you can get Yeah, without definitely. any, without any certainty that it's going to happen or not. Yeah. Knowing one way or another. So now that you know that it's a girl, what do you know about names or you're not revealing the names yet? Um, so we were revealing names up until like two weeks ago. And then it just got to the point where everyone wanted to provide their two cents and, we oh, really yeah. didn't want to have that. Yeah, we, we didn't want to have that outside influence. Like, if it's a good name for us, it's a good name. It's, the it's outside good, influence is real. Yeah, it is. And we're just like, we've gotten to a point now where uh, we, we kind of stop telling our family. And they keep asking, oh, what do you like of this name? I really like this name. And I'm like, I don't want you to influence. Never tell them. Yeah. And so uh, we like H names. We like R names. Um, one name that we're not going to go with uh, is Reagan. Um, my, my wife liked that name. Um, we're still, we, we were, we were thinking of, um, Avery, um, but I guess Avery's become too popular. So Morgan doesn't like it anymore. Um, but yeah, so I, you know, I was really open and, and wanting to share with everyone. And then, you know, the feedback that we got, I was like, wow, this is not what I expected. And everyone got really personal about it. And, and, um, you know, I'll tell you a story of why you should keep it to yourself. So we had a list just like you, we worked through it. And I want to say maybe three weeks prior to her being born, my first uh, child, uh, we had picked it. It was going to be Zoe. And we were like, oh, finally. It was such a relief because it's, it's stressful. Mm-hmm. And so then we told people. And my sister felt so impelled to tell us that she disagreed with her name, that she's like, she's going to be in an interview one day and no one's going to take her serious because her name is Zoe. And so she essentially ruined it for us. Uh, so then we were right back to the drawing board. Oh no. Two other two sh- names we had were Brooklyn and Sophia. Going into labor, we had Brooklyn and Sophia. Those were the names we still didn't know. But I didn't realize this, but I had other forces against me that I hadn't been managing. So we had a C section for the first one because uh, she was induced, but then she got stuck. So we had to go to a C section at like 10 o'clock at night. And so I'm in the C because if you get an epidural, this is maybe something you don't know, but if you get an epidural, you can be in the room with a C-section. But if your wife doesn't get an epidural and you need a C-section, she has to be uh, sedated. Wow. Section. So something to know about the epidural part. Uh, so she pulls the baby out, the doctor, and she says, oh, she looks like a Sophia. And I was like, damn. In that moment, she was named Sophia. <laughs> lost. Wow. Well, that's cool. So now you have a little Sophia. Yeah, I got to pick the middle name. I picked Grace, which was my uh, grandmother's middle name. But uh, okay. I don't I mean I don't mind Sophia, and I, I 
even looking back now, I probably like it more than Brooklyn. But at the yeah. time, like she pulled it out and oh, it looks like a Sophia. And I was like, and then my wife just bought into it. And yeah, she was the tiebreaker almost the doctor when she wow. pulled it out. So even oh. if you know, you can still go in and get messed up with something. Yeah. Well, so the, the big thing that we're thinking about is how they're going to perceive their name because your name can really kind of have a, an influence on your personality and how you how you perceive yourself in terms of ability to accomplish things in terms of where you stand uh, relative to your cohorts and things like that. And so having something that's neutral, but, um, you know, gives you the, the confidence to accomplish things in your life. And that doesn't sway you one way or another, whether it has anything to do with, you know, sexuality or if it's, you know, um, masculinity or femininity, it's, we want that, we want the name to, to stand for itself. And so to that end, my philosophy is that they only have one distinctive name. The middle name is going to be my wife's maiden name for all of our kids, uh, which is kind of unique. Um, and so her maiden, maiden name is white. And so we know that for all of our kids, they're going to have their first name. So the name that we're not going with would have been Avery and then her middle name would have been white and then last name Hart. So, uh, we think we're going to stay consistent in that regard to where there's only one name that we can screw up. The others are just inherited. On my wife's side, there wasn't anything special, but on my side, it was always uh, your dad's first name. Oh yeah. Like my middle name is Daniel and that's my dad's first name. His middle name is Robert and that was his dad's first name. I I like that. So maybe you can start a tradition if that's not a tradition on the son side. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. We, uh, so I think my middle name was my grandfather's middle name. I don't know why I got his middle name and not his first name, but yeah. One thing about the name though, I can definitely tell what you're going to, you're going to look back after this baby is born and be like, how did we ever find time to stress about this? (laughs) Because you're in the weeds, man, you are way in there. And the one thing I will give you is some grace because I can tell that it's uh, that you are thinking about this a lot. Whatever you do name them or her in this case, uh, it's more about what help you help to define it as than anything else. Whether they believe their name means something is whether you you told them that they meant something. Yeah. And I think it's if you you create the limiting belief that your name is holding you back. If you say your parents didn't breathe life into you, or it's almost like your name just gets attached to the emotional baggage that you create as you grow up. So yeah. if you raise a confident child, they'll identify their name as a confident name. So. And especially as a girl, like I often will tell my daughter that, uh, especially because I don't even know what world she's going to be going into as a teenager compared to the teenage world that's now, it's even crazy. But I often tell her and just understand that like her opinion of herself is one that matters. What she thinks of herself is what matters. What other people think doesn't matter as long as she knows what she thinks about herself is the right one and telling her that she's beautiful and that she's good enough and that, uh, that I love her. Like these are things that, and proud, like these are things that are giving them the confidence that they're not looking for that external validation. So I think it's more about your parenting style than it is about the name itself. As long as you don't have like some odd name that has some joke that automatically comes to mind when you say it. Yeah. Um, A funny one, my wife's mom, her first name is Candy, which when you name the child seems perfectly, it seems odd naming your child Candy because it's just like Candy, C-A-N-D-Y. Mm-hmm. But she married last name Land. So her name is, is Candy Land. 
Wow. I so you can that... actually stress this to the point of suicide oh, yeah. Yeah. and still F it up because she'll find someone to marry and then blow it out of the water. <laughs> Man. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's the one thing that we're trying, well, you know, we're, we're trying to do as much as we possibly can to prepare for any eventuality. So we have time now. So we're like trying to think of all of the, all of the things that we can avoid screwing up now uh, so that we implement them in advance of the child arriving uh, with the hope that we've done everything that we possibly can to make sure that we're going to be successful. And you have a year to change it afterwards as well. Yeah. Oh, you do? Yeah. Oh, up okay. to a year you can change it. Also, I'll give you an inside tip. The paperwork really isn't due. And it's not really, I don't even know if it's probably, is it really due, but you have pretty much the entire time you're at the hospital to name it, hmm. to name her. So, because I want to say with maybe Dylan or Lily, maybe we weren't 100% sure on the middle name and type stuff. So mm -hmm. they give you the paperwork and they give it to you to folder. But it's something that you can have those two days. It's two days if you have a normal birth and then three if you see C-section. So, but you have that entire time to really get the paperwork right and to figure out yeah. if they're in your hands and connect with whoever she is or whatever future you see in her eyes when you look at her. So yeah. know that it's not like, oh my God, it's out. She doesn't have a name. Oh my gosh. Just breathe. It'll be okay. Well, and that's, that's kind of what I'm thinking of. You know, um, we're, we're trying our best. And what I'll do is if in 10 years time, I, I've screwed up the name royally and, you know, she hates her name. I'll, I'll point her to this podcast episode and I'll say, listen, <laughs> we, we tried as hard as we possibly could to make sure that you, you had a good name and we did as, as much as we could, but uh, it, it just didn't pan out. You know, I haven't given this advice to a new dad, but you may enjoy it. Um, and I've heard my wife just repeat it because she brought it up and I was like, I've been saying that for like two years, but she didn't hear it until she heard someone else say it. That uh, if you have things you want to say to your daughter, even from the very beginning, start a Gmail account and keep it to yourself and then write emails to it throughout her life and then give it to her when it's an appropriate time of wow. things that were on your mind or even pictures as like a time capsule. Um, Cause there's things that you're thinking of what she's, what you're scared about. And, or I've, I've also seen it hurt given for like dads that get separated and they're, they physically aren't a part of their kid's life. And there's just, there's no reconciling of, with the mom that a way to be a part of your kid's life is to write their side of the story and send it to an email. And then when they're old enough to understand what was going on, they can look back and say, this is what dad's side of it was and understand that he wasn't the guy that maybe the mom was portraying him. And it allows you to still have a voice, but at a different time in the kid's life. Interesting. I, I really like that. And, and I think you, know, you being, you, you feel like, I feel like you're a writer as well. So I feel like you'd have some passionate words to describe. Yeah. Your, yeah. I'm, I'm probably a better writer than I am, uh, you know, a, a communicator any, any other way. So, um, I really like that. Um, yeah, the one thing that I, I have noticed that I, I'm trying to think about based on all the, the research and, and, uh, reading that I've done thus far are like three things stand out in my mind. It's the, the stories that you tell them that they, that sticks with them. Um, the, uh, the questions that you ask them that kind of determine their outlook and the, the external, um, feedback that they get, uh, from you, um, whether or not you're an optimist, a pessimist, um, and then, you know, the questions that you ask, the way that they frame the questions in their life. Um, you know, a good example of one is like, um, uh, you know, what, uh, what questions did you ask today at school? Um, and then the reinforcement thing 
could be, uh, if, if they did well on a, on a paper, for example, and they got an A, um, you could tell them either, oh, you're very smart or, oh, you, you worked really hard on that. And that helps them to frame certain perspectives in life and it gives them a, uh, a mental toolkit to fall back on. So if they have uh, self-talk that tells them that they're just a smart person the first time that they experience failure, they'll tell themselves that they're not smart um, and that, you know, they're getting dumber. Um, but if, if you reinforce the fact that when they, when they get an A, it's because they worked hard, then when they get a D, it's just because they didn't put enough work in and it reinforces strong work ethic. And so I've been doing a lot of research on psychology and then parenting to try and prepare myself for what I need to say to uh, our daughter when she's born. The, uh, what you hit on there is the, the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset. And I heard a story in a podcast where a dad was actually he got a little bit schooled in this because he was talking to a Navy SEAL that really knew this stuff. And he told a story about his son wrestling and his son was at a weight limit that he was just crushing it, winning, winning, winning. And then he leveled up and just lost over and over and he wanted to quit right away. And the guy he was interviewing quickly pushed back and said, that's because you rewarded the result that he was getting every time and not the effort that he put in because he put in little effort to get that. And then when we focus on the result, that it was gone. So you really needed to almost always reinforce the effort and the result was irrelevant that as long yep. as they equate to what they put into it, that's what they need to connect in to understand that if they're unhappy with something in their life, that means they have the ability to grow through it and just put more effort towards it. Yeah. And it's, it's about the routine rather than the outcome. And if, if they're not enjoying the process of practice and whatever sport they're doing, if they're not enjoying the, the process of homework, then maybe they need to change how they're doing it or change what classes they're taking because process is everything in life. And if you're not enjoying the process, then you're not going to enjoy the outcome. Mm -hmm. And so a crazy statistic, even like valedictorians and anybody that makes it to the top of those classes, the statistic of how many of those actually do something remarkable is very low. Yeah because their entire life was focused on the result and not what they were trying to do to get there. Yeah. Or, you know, wanting to become a doctor because it's prestigious or wanting to become a lawyer because it's prestigious and then they become lawyers. And I think lawyers are the worst uh, when it comes to drinking and alcoholism. Uh, they just, they drink their livers to death because that was something that they saw as, you know, a, a good position to be in in life. And then they get there and it's, they've achieved the prize, but they didn't enjoy the process while they were doing it. And so they drank themselves to death and then they, they quit. Um, uh, uh, Clark, um, is it uh, Rich, Richard Clark? Uh, he's the unemployable podcast host. He was a lawyer, hated it, hated every second of it, and then eventually became uh, an entrepreneur and a podcast host. And so he's a good example. Um, and, and I don't know if it's just lawyers, but you have to enjoy the process. Otherwise, you get to the, the conclusion or the outcome and, and you don't mm -hmm. like where you're at. Yeah. And I think there's something to be said, even in the military life, that a lot of uh, military life, uh, maybe not on the grass green or on the other side, Air Force, but a lot of dads say they're doing something noble and that that's something that they're trying to achieve and that that sacrifice is worth the sacrifice from their family. Mm -hmm. But that's really like a credit card that you keep borrowing from and eventually they, they call calling and that either it ends in divorce or maybe your kids grow up not knowing you or resenting you, or you're not even part of their life. And it, you really have to have it the other way around that your family is always number one and Navy steel Andy stump described this best. This is kind of, you can kind of uh, short the entire process of being a dad that as a Navy seal, he was effectively trained to be 
super killer in the most highest fashion of any military branch. And everybody knows what a Navy SEAL is trained to do. And he said, but the effectiveness of every skill that I know is the limit of how far my bullet can travel. That no matter how far I, or how better I make myself as a Navy SEAL, I still have that limitation. As a dad, we have literally decades and generations into the future as our effectiveness, depending on how we show up for our kids. And that's powerful because that's what military dads are gifted. When we join the military, we have a very well-rounded view of the world and we can gift that to our kids to go out there and just knock it down and change the world for a better place. But we really have to recognize what those tools the military gave us and understand how we can deliver them to our kids so that they can go out into the world and do great things as well. Yeah. Yeah, you're exactly right. And actually, one of the reasons as to why I wanted to go Air Force or Army is, uh, so I was enlisted Army for two years before I got a commander's recommendation to go to West Point. And I really, really didn't like working 12 to 15 hour days just because you're, you're up at five, go to PT at six, and you don't get off until six or seven, depending on what your duty is for that day. I didn't think that that was a good way to raise a family. And when I had the opportunity to pursue commissioning into the Air Force, I knew that based on my cousin's feedback and my time at CTLT, that an average day in the Air Force, even at a high operational tempo unit, uh, was no later than five or six at night. And they really do respect family time. And I thought that if I wanted to do this long term, or at least have the possibility of doing it long term, that the Air Force would be the best branch to be in. Because now, I, I can see myself being in the Air Force for 20 years plus because they respect your family time, because they respect the nine to five um, and, and they prioritize things, they systematize things to where you're, you're going to get it done within the duty days constraints. Uh, otherwise, it, you know, it, it doesn't get done. Um, they, they've just built the, the structure of the Air Force to where you can, you can facilitate everything that needs to be done in a nine to five, which is wonderful. Mm-hmm. That does sound good. There's a lot of, I've heard a lot of horror stories on recruiting commands as well. And I often feel like the military misses a big opportunity to let service members recharge on recruiting duty, get time with their families. But honestly, they burn them to the ground even more. And it's, it's even worse than what you get on active duty almost. That there is no barrier or firewall because it's on you and you got numbers to fill. So go fill them. Yep. All with whatever the consequences are. And you know, it's funny, you have a reverse effect when you're needy. Um, if, if, so if the, if the perception that you give people is that you're desperate to fill seats, then people are less likely to join your branch or to, it's not out of goodwill. It's out of, I need you and I'm going to manipulate potentially to get you to do what I need you to do. Yeah. And as an ROTC recruiter for the last two years at the university of Texas, we didn't have a quota to fill. And so people that came to me, I told them our standards for admission. I told them about the application process that we set up because we wanted to filter out poor candidates from, from quality candidates. And since we set that program up, we pretty much doubled our admissions um, because we made it more selective and elite, which in people's minds made them think, well, if I consider myself to be the best, I want to spend time with the best and I want to up my game. And so in order to elevate my game, I'm going to choose Air Force over anything else. And I'm going to choose ROTC over being a civilian student because that's going to, that's going to elicit the, the most competitive outcome of, of my potential. And yeah. so that's the perspective that we took. And not only did I have to work less, but I was able to attract more bright minds. And so that, I think that's the perspective or the approach that the military needs to take. 
So let's switch gears here for a minute. Uh, when it comes to your marriage, I bet there's a lot of fear and uh, anxiety related around moving in together because in some ways you've known each other, but when you're living together, that's when you really start knowing someone. What's your battle plan to get through these first few months without the baby and to make sure that you transition into a solid marriage living together? Yeah. So, I mean, coming into it, um, I really wanted to uh, give it my all and you know, give it full throttle to see kind of, uh, you know, what, what sticks and figure out uh, where I can throttle down and see what, you know, give it, give it everything across all dim- dimensions, all aspects across the whole spectrum and see what she appreciates most and then do more of that, double down on that. And then I can throttle back in, every, in other areas. Um, but, you know, trying to do as many tasks around the house to make sure that she feels appreciated to prioritize her over anything else um, mm-hmm. to make sure that she's, she feels taken care of, especially given that she's pregnant. Um, you know, I try to do everything from, you know, cooking to cleaning and then I, it'll work itself out too. You know, we've already kind of found a balance, uh, which I think is important in every marriage. You, you just kind of figure out what each person is inclined to do based on what naturally occurs and, and figuring out, uh, what she likes to do more than other things. And so still just figuring it all out really, um, because we, we have, I guess the last time that we lived together was really in college, you know? Um, and we spent every, every hour both have grown up a lot since then too. Exactly. You know, so we've matured a lot. We know what we want in life. We know what we like to do in our pastimes. Um, and so we have two lives, but um, you know, and I think that's important to the marriage. You need to have your own hobbies and passions. Mm-hmm. So, anything is probably a little bit better because you have a solid routine in your own life of things mm-hmm. that bring you joy. And now you just have to try to make sure you try to balance both of those things that bring you joy. And then mm-hmm. also that they bring joy to both of you together. Yeah, exactly. You guys read and the she love really loves, book, you know, we love it. Yeah. love that book. Yeah. That's a, an easy um, cheat manual to figure out where to, to focus on that, uh, that I read that book a while back and it, it opens up a lot of just insights into the process that you don't actually get into, into marriage. It's often, um, it's, it's super crazy how, how marriage is perceived in global culture because we recognize we need to go to school to be a doctor. We recognize we need to go to school to be an electrician. We need to go to school to learn these advanced skills, but somehow that we are just born with the innate ability to have an awesome marriage without any additional skills is something that most people don't actually recognize as an issue that Mm -hmm. it then, and then wonder why the results of divorce rates. And it's like, you just don't wake up and poof, it's going to happen perfectly. It's something that you have to learn and and grow to. And and there are processes that work better than not. And if you try doing it through failure, it's like trying to be a doctor, you're going to kill a hundred people, but you might actually figure figure out how to be a liver surgeon, but there's going to be a lot of dead bodies laying around in the, in the process. And, yeah, maybe not the best analogy, but it's a similar analogy where yeah, yeah. You're trying to figure it out. And the one thing that I think it's often culture can get it backwards is that when you, when you have kids, and this is gonna be the biggest thing that that gets stuck in, is that you focus all your attention on the kids because that's just you feel like that's where the attention needs to go. But re-anchoring, especially in the military, because in the military the priorities are always changing. And always reaffirming that your wife is number one and your kids are number two. And making sure your kids even know that they're number two is important. Uh, we had a Phil O'Black on the podcast last spring, and he gave us a 
big uh, idea of kissing your wife first before you hug your kids and making sure that not making sure, but letting them see that because then that says that I'm yeah. happy to see you, but I'm more happy to see my wife who's going to be there after you leave me. Oh yeah. And your kids are, are guaranteed to betray you and <laughs> your wife is something there forever and you need to yeah. live your life every day with that philosophy. Not something that, okay, the kids are gone. Let's figure out how to be married again. Cause most likely you're not. And that's usually when they get divorces, when I don't really know you anymore. I feel like we're strangers. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we actually read that book. We struggled a lot um, long distance when she was at Fort Rucker near the end of flight school. We were just struggling uh, to keep up with a long distance relationship. And I think everyone goes through that. This was after two years and we were already engaged at that point. Um, but it was just, it was really hard. So we had, we read that book and, you know, figured out our love languages. And so she's more of a, you know, an action um, and, and, you know, presence uh, type uh, appreciation um, person. And, and I'm more of like a, a words and language. Um, um, but yeah, so that, that really helped. And then to the end of prioritizing, you know, your wife, we, we actually, I don't know if this will work out, but our plan before we have kids is that we want to go on a week-long trip by ourselves each year. So every year since we've been together, we've traveled two times each year. And so we've gone to places like Peru or Iceland or uh, Amsterdam or Italy. So we've, do, we've done all these trips and we go twice a year. So we're going to go one trip with a family and one trip by ourselves from now on once, once we have our, our little girl. And I think that's a good way to make sure that you prioritize your relationship with your wife because you demonstrate that mm -hmm. by, you know, by action that this is something that we prioritize and that, um, that we, we want to keep up. And so we're going to have our kids stay with our in -law, my in-laws, her parents, and watch them for a week while we go do whatever we want. The first part will be hard because she'll probably be a mama bear because most, mm -hmm. and even if you can't tell, you really have no idea until that they hold that baby in their hands. Uh, but I like what you're saying because it, for dads listening out there, choosing to invest in those areas are super important. And there's one part, you're in a, a, a later season, but often if you start having kids early, you don't really realize that the debt you're, you're almost instantly taking on that you're putting your life on hold for 20 years. That there are hundreds and hundreds of things that you won't do because you have kids now. And and you're going to be that same case, even though you're having kids when you're 30, that reinforcing and connecting to those ideas and finding ways to still continue to feel like you're living your life and that you're not automatically just taking care of your kids. I think this is what leads to midlife crises is because there's so much time where we're just invested in, and we're not actually living. We're just living the life to keep them alive or to pay the bills so that they can do all the crazy things that they want. But inside, we're really just dying slowly. And when you reach 40, you're like, Oh my God, my life's half over. I haven't lived because we had kids and we're 21. And, um, I was in a big damn hurry when I got out in 2007 to, to have kids and get married and catch up. But the one thing that wisdom I've learned since then is that, and it came from the Czech Republic where my, I work for my company is that they spend all their twenties learning to love the person, which is kind of what you did. Find someone, love that person and just learn to live life with them and do life. And then in their 30s, they settle down and have kids. And that's a lesson I want to pass on to my kids that I want them to fully have felt like they lived a little, even if it's something that doesn't even make sense. And by natural course, it's not the normal way. If they're figuring out who they want to be or who they are, it's, it's all good. Because that's really what those 20s are meant. 
in the US, I feel like we get it so backwards. It's all about consumerism. It's all about these patterns. It's all about doing what the Joneses are doing next door or what your Facebook friends are doing. And that's what, I mean, that's what I had. I had all of my friends were having kids. They were getting married and I was sitting in Oak and I was still single. And I'm like, I just felt stuck. But in reality, I was figuring out who I was and I just didn't keep on doing it a little bit when I got home. So I like what you're saying there because it's definitely going to lead dividends that get you to where you need to be when you when the kids leave and you'll already have this habit of exploring life and eventually you'll be able to take the kids on these on these trips and I'm a big believer that you have to get your kids outside of their life in order to figure out how they fit into their life and they need to see different ways in the world and what people do with their life in the world because that's how they figure out whether they're a square peg or a round peg or a diamond peg and School ain't going to do that for them. It's got to teach them, but it's not going to teach them who they are. Yeah. And we're also trying to, to demonstrate to them or be a role model to them in, in the, from the perspective of continuing our education and making sure that we still continue to live our life and be our own per- people. So what Morgan plans on doing is after we have our first couple of kids, she wants to go back to school. And even though she's a pilot right now, she's passionate about baking. And so she wants to go to Cordon Bleu in Paris and get her master's in uh, patisserie. Um, I don't know if you get your master's in that, but she would get an advanced degree from that, which she can use her GI bill for. And even though we're, we're having our daughter in December, I'm still enrolled to start another master's program in the spring of next year. So it's, it's continuing to educate yourself, continuing to be a good role model for your, your children to show them that even though life is a struggle, you can still find time to be successful. And that's the plan. I don't know if it's going to happen mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, we, we have a plan until we, we, we contact, but uh, we'll see if it, if it works. But uh, that's, that's our hope is that we can be a good role model and that we can be successful outside of, you know, the day job or things like that. Um, and that we can, we can show them, we can be the proof that you can be as successful as you want to be. I like that. And the one thing, that what you're saying there is focusing on still having a plan. But if there is one thing that I've learned throughout the time of all the plans I've had having the three kids is that when you try to figure out what's right and wrong, always balance it with time is the most important aspect because that's how they spell love T I M E. And what every time you choose something that's not them, there is a choice and a deficit created in their life. And you always got to make sure that you're investing that time because those First years go by so fast. And every time you've heard an adult say like, oh, make sure you pay attention because those first years go by so fast. That's really just code that they weren't there. Mm-hmm. So always try to reflect on that time because, and here's some wisdom that I, I'm, I'm proud of myself if I work through it. But in, in June, I was a stay-at-home dad for 10 days. My wife went to China for a teaching, uh, kind of like interchange teaching. And I was a single dad for three days and I took vacation day and I was all in. And I am so thankful I did that because I'm positive when I'm 50, I even, it's only two months and I still look back at it as a, as a happy 10 days that uh, it was the craziest 10 days, but that 10 days will be something when I'm 50, I will reflect back as the strongest memory of these years and making those memories. Because when you're at 50, you're not going to wish you did that masters. That's always what you have to think about is what yeah, am I going to wish looking back when I'm 50 that I did more of now? Because literally these years that you're entering into never come back. There is no comeback. There is no, I can do it later. Mm-hmm. And I was gifted this advice uh, last fall by Nick Maytash. We had in the podcast as bonus episode number two in July. 
that he talked about seasons and so many times I, you were, you're a little bit like me. There's always ideas. There's always things I could be doing and there's never a lack of ideas, just lack of time to do them and which one you want to do. And really by giving this idea of season that there are seasons of life and there are seasons of life where different things fit in easier. And so I love traveling. I love airplanes. I love experiencing new cultures and I love traveling for work. At the same time, that's time away from my kids. And I'm like, there's no reason why that's not a later season in my life. Even public speaking, I want to be a public speaker, but that would take me away from my kids now. So by framing things in seasons, you allow yourself to really focus and be dad now and say, okay, these are goals I have, but these are just different seasons of my life where I'm going to achieve them. And that took so much burden off me to try to have all my goals accomplished right away because you are going to write checks that you're going to wish you could have back when you're 50. Yeah. When you have guess, those ambitious goals. Well, it's unique. This, this is my plan at least. Um, and I do agree with the, the sentiment that you expressed with the master's degree is that you can always do it later, but I'm having this. So in the military and the air force in particular, they let you kind of work on your master's on the job. And so if I'm going to be out of that, yeah, if I'm going to be out of the house and I'm going to be at work away from my family, then why not do a master's? And that case, yeah, because it, the time's already gone. It's just being banked in a different category and you get a bigger ROI on it. Exactly. And, and so if, if I'm being paid for it and my boss lets me work on grad yeah. school while I'm there because it aligns with my mission, then I will. So that's, that's the only twist there. Mm-hmm. But I agree with everything else. Uh, and it, it, I don't know if it'll ever happen, but you know, my, my goal in life is to, is to become self-sufficient to where I can spend as much time as possible with my family. Um, and even in the air force, I'm trying to make it to where I can spend more time with, with family. Uh, you know, I, I, I worked with an organization called AFWorks before I PCS here and I still work with them and I, I run two programs for them. One of which is a remote work program for active duty air force. Uh, and so if, if we can get that up and running off the ground, it's in prototype phase right now, we're doing it with ROTC cadets and AFWorks employees, but remote work as a military, um, personnel member, um, would be amazing for time with family because mm-hmm. I don't think that there were, were that much productive at work, you know, with your butt mm-hmm. in the chair. Um, I think that there can be a lot accomplished at home. And that you don't have, especially for the office jobs that are just like, oh, yeah, yeah. they aren't really military jobs. Or you just wear a uniform and you punch keyboards just like a civilian would. Exactly. And you can do that at home unless it's classified, but you can mm-hmm. dispatch that work. Yeah. And there's kind of two sides of that. There's one, I feel like there's one military dad where they hide at work because they're afraid to come home. But then there's other ones where like us, where you want to be there and trying to create an organized life to make that happen as well. Yeah. Uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, it's th- these are all possibilities. It's just a matter of trying to get one to come to fruition. Yeah. And you're always thinking, so that's what that's really where you, your brain needs to be. And you're always uh, looking back on those questions of what you could do better and analyzing it in a military mind. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the benefit of being a, a military veteran dad is that you have the the training, you know how to evaluate commitment and, and uh, you know, time obligations for certain things that you you commit to. And so approaching things from a, a systems perspective before you even commit or obligate yourself is really, really helpful because not everyone has that training. Mm-hmm. Not everyone knows um, how to create a, a regiment in their life to where they can prioritize family. Like we just have such good training to fall back on that I wouldn't trade my military experience for anything. 
Well, we definitely have to have you back on the podcast when you, you are a dad to check in on see <laughs> how, you, how you're doing and how the pulse is. And I'd be like, oh my God, I haven't slept in, in seven days. <laughs> yeah. You want me to do what? You want to do a podcast? I haven't done one of those in months. Yeah. I don't even remember what a podcast is. It's been so long. Yeah, we'll see. On my podcast, I'm trying to like build up uh, a backlog of of episodes that I have ready to produce. They're production ready episodes that are pre recorded and and just ready to push the the go live button, so I can have a repository uh, ready for when uh, you know our, our baby girl comes. I like that. So, as a new dad, so you're not not a dad, but I usually like to wrap up the episodes with a piece of advice. As a new dad, soon to be, what's a piece of advice you want to leave for other dads who are expecting that haven't become a dad yet? Well, so we're still, you know, uh, have yet to be uh, in the trenches with everyone else. But you're in the uh, trenches now. It's just a different trench. <laughs> it's it's not a no joke when you're going through that first one because it's it's like it's almost like going through an enemy zone because every every hump you go over, you really have no idea what's on the other side of that hill. Yeah, yeah. And you just try to keep doing the square mission, square mission. Every day you feel like you got under control, but then sometimes the enemy pushes you back. It's just as crazy in the first when you're pregnant as it is. <laughs> uh, on the other side well we're a fan of uh a, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure and so we're trying to uh you know embody that and trying to 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 bring that that perspective that that mindset into life and doing whatever we can to make sure that we're fully prepared for any possibility that comes up or arises once uh she's actually here um you know trying to do all the things that we should as as parents before the first baby comes, you know, reading to it and talking with the baby, uh, even while it's in the belly and, uh, you know, uh, playing music for it and things like that, just letting it hear our voices so that it gets used to it, you know, playing music for it so that we can, uh, lull her to sleep if she, she feels comforted by music when we're trying to swaddle her and things like that. So just doing as much as we can on the, on the front end so that we're prepared on the back end. Mm -hmm. And I think the best advice I can give you back is illusion, control is an illusion. You'll have it very rarely. And in those first few months, you just need to hang on because it'll all be gone before you know it. And there'll be a day where you're like, man, all I wish was that child for asked me one more time to say, can I have a hug? Even though it was on that night we were trying to get them to go to bed and they're three, you're just like, just go to bed so I can watch Netflix. But when you're, when they're older and then swearing at you for something you did, it's like, man, it was so much easier when they just asked for another hug. Yeah. It all goes by so quick. I like that. So I'll keep that in the back of my mind, hopefully every night. <laughs> every night when you're using the baby breezes to fill up their bottom, you're like, I'm going to like, oh, this isn't so bad. Yeah, absolutely. I can do this. You got it. <laughs> well, Tom, I really appreciate uh, you coming on the podcast and you being the first dad as a uh, four dad. I'm really excited to share this because I know there's other dads out there and those dads are just as struggling as you are. And what most military dads aren't good at is having and creating a community to not feel alone. So if we can make a dad not feel alone being a, a new dad, we've accomplished our mission tonight. Absolutely. Well, Tom, you have a great uh, the rest of your day because it's, what time is it there in Hawaii? Uh, let's see here. Yeah, right now it's 4.18. Ah, so you're pretty good. I, I've always thought it was more of a time zone shift. It doesn't seem that bad. Uh, yeah, you're, you're Midwest, right? Yeah, so it's nine o'clock here. Well, you have a great rest of your evening and we'll talk soon and, and uh, best of luck on the new one. Thanks so much. Have a good night. That's a wrap. And thank you for listening to today's show. And I really hope you enjoyed it. 
the lifeblood of any new podcast are the reviews. If you haven't reviewed the podcast yet on iTunes, I would really appreciate it, and you will help us get the message out to even more military veteran dads. As John Maxwell says, if there is hope in the future, there is power in the present. Dads, it's time to come home.